Before we begin today's episode of Skincare School, we acknowledge First Nations people as the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia. We recognise and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future whose lands were never ceded. Welcome back to another season of Skincare School. I'm Amy Clark and I'm joined by science educator, chemistry PhD and cosmetic chemist Michelle Wong, aka Lab Muffin Beauty Science. This week on Skincare School. Like when I turn over a product and I can say, oh, I know that it's got this derivative of vitamin A or I know that it's got this derivative of vitamin C, I feel really smug or maybe empowered is the better word, but I feel smug. Because skincare products are complex. So trying to tell if a skincare product is going to work on your face, for example, is kind of like trying to tell how a cake will taste just by the list of ingredients. There's so much fun, entertaining, helpful info on social media about skincare in general. I feel like, Michelle, you're probably privy to like the underbelly of skin talk. Given that you are so in that world, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know. I'm just here. I am just watching like a really ASMR skincare routine. Actually, one tip with skin cycling, if you do want to give this a go or just have any kind of rhythm to your routine, write it down. Write it down in your phone or I literally wrote a physical hard copy list for my mum that she put on sticky tape in the bathroom cabinet mirror. Do what you got to do. Yeah, fairy dusting. I love this explanation. Uh, It's kind of just like dusting the marketing magic on the front and then you've got the ingredients list on the back. I am so excited for today's deep dive because if anyone is an expert on reading skincare product ingredients lists, I'm going to bet it's you, Michelle, because this is kind of like why you started Lab Muffin to take the confusion out of all those sciencey long words that you see on beauty packaging. So in today's deep dive, we're going to go through how to, I guess, translate all of the stuff in the ingredients lists on the back into being able to learn more about how the product might be, if it might be right for you, all of those kinds of things. And back in the day, you'd see words on the packaging like anti-aging or brightening or pore minimizing, and you just take that at face value. You know, you go, oh, yep, I want my skin to look brighter, so I'll just grab that product that says brightening. But now more and more people like me are obsessed with understanding exactly what's in the products, and it gives you that really smug feeling. Like when I turn over a product and I can say, oh, I know that it's got this derivative of vitamin A, or I know that it's got this derivative of vitamin C, I feel really smug, or maybe empowered is the better word, but I feel smug. So Michelle, over to you. Let's get started. What are the things that we need to know, or what are the things I guess that you can find out about a product from the ingredients list? Yeah, I guess the ingredients list is kind of one of those few things we can cling to in the confusing world of skincare because ingredient lists have to follow legal guidelines in terms of telling you what's inside a product. So the ingredients have to be listed in order of concentration from the highest to the lowest by weight, and anything below 1% can be listed in any order. So it does give you a lot of information, but at the same time, it doesn't tell you everything because skincare products are complex. So trying to tell if a skincare product is going to work on your face, for example, is kind of like trying to tell how a cake will taste just by the list of ingredients. So you can imagine the best chef in the world can bake a chocolate cake and then you can bake a chocolate cake with the same ingredients. It's not going to turn out the same. And then if you just have like a bag of chocolate cake ingredients that you just bought from the shops, that also 
also has the same ingredients list and that is a very different experience. I've really missed your food analogies for skincare, I've (laughs) got to say, Michelle. Okay, so that all makes sense to me. So where do I start in terms of I grab my product, I turn it over, how do I get started understanding this ingredients list? So the first thing you're looking for in an ingredients list is, is there anything in this product that I cannot use? So the biggest one is if anything is in there that you're allergic to. In Australia, if there's an allergen in there that's at a high enough concentration and it's a common enough allergen, they legally have to tell you it's in there. And so this is a really good way to pick out if you're going to react to a product. Apart from allergies, there are also other ingredients that you might react to. And also, I guess if you're vegan, for example, you might want to look out for animal products in the ingredients list. The second thing you can find out from an ingredients list is, I guess you have to put this together with the rest of the information about the product, but it's just looking at the ingredients list and going, is there an ingredient in there in a high enough amount to do what I wanted to do? So as I'm sure everyone who has been into beauty for a while is aware, there is a lot of marketing in beauty and sometimes that can be quite misleading. So there's a lot of what's sort of called fairy dusting. Yeah, fairy dusting. I love this explanation. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of just like dusting the marketing magic on the front and then you've got the ingredients list on the back. So it might say it has niacinamide on the front and then you turn it over and you find out that niacinamide is at the end of the ingredients list. So like we said before, if it's less than 1%, it can be at the end of the ingredients list. If it's at the end, less than 1% niacinamide, it's probably not going to do what you want it to. So that's one really good way of spotting whether or not that product is what you actually want to buy and use on your face. And this also kind of relies on us as the consumer to have that base level of skincare ingredient knowledge of, I guess, knowing what kinds of ingredients are used for what and, you know, what they can actually do in the skin. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to the episodes of Skincare School Season 1 where we go through, for example, vitamin C is the umbrella term for the ingredient but then there's different types of vitamin c same with vitamin a there's vitamin a and then you've got your different derivatives or types of vitamin a so the thing you need to do is i guess go back and find out through trial and error and also your own research what form of this active ingredient am I looking for in a product? And then that's when you'll be able to start to recognize some of these names on the back. For example, vitamin C, a lot of products will say pure vitamin C on the front, or it has vitamin C, but then you turn it over, it could have L-ascorbic acid, or it could have ascorbyl glucoside. And these are both very different derivatives of the same umbrella ingredient, right, Michelle? Yeah. So learning all these ingredient names is a really good way of being able to pick out a product that is right for you specifically. So you can tell if it's the right strength, if it's probably going to work on your skin at all. Another thing that's really good is once you start getting used to ingredient names, then looking at the inactive ingredients can also be really helpful because that tells you what sort of texture you're expecting from a product. So you can more easily tell if you have oily skin. I've got oily skin, for example. I tend to like lighter texture creams. And so now that I'm really familiar with the names, I can sort of tell just from the ingredients list whether or not it's going to be a lightweight product that I'm going to enjoy. Because even though the front of the pack is really useful, sometimes it doesn't quite match up with reality. So what someone might think is oily skin in Europe, for example, where it's a lot drier and colder, might not really have the same sort of, I guess, product preferences as someone with oily skin on Australia who will have a lot more humidity, a lot more heat. 
So here's one example. Let's say you're looking for a lactic acid exfoliant. So you see lactic acid on the front and you go, sweet, this should probably work. If you actually check the ingredients list, this is a really good way of maybe picking out some of these fairy dust ingredients. If the lactic acid is at the end of the ingredients list, then it probably won't work because with a lactic acid exfoliant, you're probably looking for 5 to 10%. If it's at the very bottom of the list, it's probably under 1%. And lactic acid is actually a component of a lot of preservative mixtures. So it is often in products at that really low concentration. And I have actually noticed a lot of brands have started putting lactic acid on the front of their bottles because lactic acid is a trending ingredient. And if you look at the back, it is exactly the same product that they were selling without lactic acid on the front. But someone has just realized lactic acid is on that ingredients list and they can try to market it better, even though that product was never meant to be a lactic acid exfoliant. Gotcha. And maybe that doesn't mean that the product isn't good, quote unquote, but it's about what do I want to achieve from using this product. If you're wanting to achieve that slowing off of dead skin cells and that kind of wake up the next day with a bit more of a glow, then you're looking for a product with your exfoliating acids a bit higher up in the list. So another example is vitamin C. So like you said before, Amy, we've got L-ascorbic acid and we've got derivatives like ascorbyl glucoside, which are common in products. So if you have a product that says vitamin C only on the front and you're not sure which one it is, then it can be a very different experience on your skin. So L-ascorbic acid is the classic form of vitamin C. It is a bit spicy. A lot of people can't really tolerate it on their skin. And so if that's you, then yeah, once you know these names, you can flip over the bottle and see, well, this has a stronger form. I probably don't want this. I probably want something with ascorbyl glucoside, for example, instead. And same goes for vitamin A. These days, a lot of brands are being descriptive about what the product is because no one wants people to have a bad experience with a product. So, you know, it wouldn't really make sense for someone to say a product is super strong if it's not. But with vitamin A, what are the different kinds of words that we're looking at on the back? So with vitamin A, most of the ingredient names will have retin in them. So the most common ones in cosmetics are retinal, retinol, retinol something. So depending on which one it is, there's a whole bunch of different retinol and um, retinoate type of ingredients. And so the strongest one is the retinal. Retinol and retinal actually, in terms of their strength, It really depends on the product because a lot of retinal products, so retinal is an increasingly common type of vitamin A that you'll find in cosmetic ingredients, and it's meant to be stronger, but a lot of the time it's really specially formulated to be gentler. So if you see retinal or retinol, then that is going to be on the stronger end. If it says retin something else in the middle of a longer name, then it is probably going to be gentler and it might not be as effective. Now, a lot of the times, ingredients lists can be very long. I mean, not just the actual ingredient names can be very long, hard to pronounce, hard to spell, but the actual lists themselves can be really long. And sometimes you might be thinking, "Mm," like the less ingredients a product has might mean that it's better or cleaner or better for your skin versus, you know, is a really long ingredients list something that I should be scared of? What's your take on this as a chemist? So it's really difficult to say because the way that we think about it in chemistry is 
each substance, if it's a pure substance, then it's one thing. But in skincare, there's a lot of ingredients that are actually complex mixtures. So something like, let's say, apple extract could have thousands of different ingredients in it, but because they've put it in as apple extract, it only takes up like one name between two commas in the ingredients list. So it's really hard to say which one is going to be safer for, let's say, sensitive skin. But I think if you have a shorter ingredients list, the real advantage there is you just have less things to look through to check if, yeah, your skin will react to that product. And the other thing too is that products need to be formulated with certain types of ingredients to actually make that active ingredient tolerable on the skin. So there's some things where people might be like, oh, I don't know about alcohol or, oh, I don't know about preservatives and things like that. But a lot of the time it actually helps to form the texture and the basis of the product and that it doesn't go off and that it actually doesn't smell weird or it doesn't, you know, have a weird color. Yeah, exactly. There are so many other functional ingredients in a product that we think of as inactive, but in reality, they have an important supporting role. They can be changing the texture of the product. They can make it in a form that helps the active ingredient penetrate through. They can also be preservatives, like you said, something that stops the product from going off before you can finish using it up. You might think that skincare should be able to last, but in reality, it is a lot like food. If you leave a skincare product that has a significant amount of water in it out on the table at room temperature for a week, again, it's like food. It's just going to go off. You probably don't want that stuff on your face. It's probably full of bacteria and mold that could at the very least give you a rash or it could even cause an infection. And that's the other thing aside from just the ingredients lists that's on the back that's important is your little expiry symbol. So that is that tub with the open lid with a number in it and that indicates the months period after opening of expiry. So usually it's, you know, 6, 12, things like that. Yeah, so a lot of the time if you have an unstable active ingredient, which a lot of the really powerful skincare ingredients are, then it's going to probably have a shorter period after opening. But a lot of the time, the expiry date and the period after opening, they're usually estimates by the brand. A lot of the time, they don't really test their product and double check that. A lot of responsible brands do, but many do not because cosmetic labeling is not that strictly regulated. And if it was, then all of our skincare products would be a lot more expensive. So that's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And so it's about kind of being familiar with the texture, the smell, the color, how it feels on the skin, kind of taking mental notes when you're using a product about this is what this product is meant to smell like. This is how it feels. Kind of just be vigilant for changes. So, you know, products separating or the colors deepening or a scent becomes a bit more pungent. (laughs) All of those kinds of things could indicate that a product has expired. Exactly. Yeah. Just keep an eye on it. And also another tip is write down when you opened it, because if you're using a lot of products, you are probably going to forget unless you have a great memory. I've actually seen a few skincare brands send out their products with a little sticker where you can write down when you opened it. And I think that's really helpful. So we've covered how ingredients lists are structured, how you can look out for certain ingredients that you know, what things are in there, the difference between active and inactive ingredients. But are there any kind of ingredients list myths that you want to debunk, Michelle? I guess it's what we've sort of already covered. Ingredients lists can't tell you everything because if it did, then the companies would be telling you all of their secrets and they're not going to want to do that. So don't take it too seriously. Don't read too much into it, but it is very useful. Some things that you can't really tell are there are a lot of ingredients where they tell you the name, but it 
actually could be more than one product. So it doesn't really tell you, I guess, the quality of the ingredient, for example. So if it says apple extract, it could be from a ripe apple. It could be from a really unripe apple. It could be from France. It could be from (laughs) Australia. I'm thinking like it could be from an apple core that someone's like thrown in the office bin three weeks ago. Not, but you know, that's such a good point that it doesn't tell you it's not like it has a tracking device that tells you where this ingredient has come from and what journey it's taken before it gets onto your face exactly yeah so you can't really tell entirely from it and you do have to at some point just kind of go with brands that you trust the other big thing is that on tiktok and instagram you kind of see a lot of videos going viral where some guy will have an ingredient checker on his phone and then scan a product and tell you that it's going to kill you everything is poison you need to chuck it out and buy something else i feel like a lot of us have kind of twigged onto the fact that this is not quite how it works it's kind of coming from just taking the ingredients list too seriously. So again, it doesn't tell you the concentration. And these apps, usually they just do a very black and white. If it's in there, it's bad. If it's not in there, then it's good. It's like with Botox. So Botox is literally the most toxic ingredient we know on earth. But we know that in the right person's hands, it's very, very safe. And it's actually really beneficial. It's, you know, anti-wrinkle injections. This kind of just illustrates that how something affects your health depends on how much you're using and how it gets applied. So the way that these apps work is they rely a lot on studies where a really large amount of that ingredient was fed to rats and they noticed things like hormonal disruption or cancer. The thing is, these studies are actually trying to find how much is unsafe. So they're trying to find where the line is before it becomes unsafe so that they can then tell cosmetic chemists how to use that ingredient so that it is safe. So in these studies, yeah, the rats are eating the stuff, they're eating tons of it. Whereas in a product, we are probably using a hundred times less, a thousand times less, several thousand times less. I think I've actually seen ones where we're using hundreds of thousands of times less and it's on our skin and we're not eating it. And so it doesn't really translate. And these ingredient apps are just usually very simplified and just applying these studies in the way that they were not intended to be applied. That also is just like the epitome of TikTok skincare advice. Like there's so much fun, entertaining, helpful info on social media about skincare in general. I feel like, Michelle, you're probably privy to like the underbelly of skin talk given that you are so in that world I'm like oh my god I didn't know I'm just here I am just watching like a really ASMR skincare routine but I guess the moral of the story here is that understanding a skincare ingredients list is just one part of the puzzle or one tool that you can use to help find the right product for you and so pairing that with reading reviews If you're shopping online, you can pair that with reading reviews. If you're going in-store, you can swatch the texture. But it's just like it's not the be-all and the end-all, but it's one really helpful thing that you can use to your advantage. Alrighty, today's listener question is actually, oh, it's like someone's actually put these questions together to match the episode before. Thank you, producer. Here is today's listener question. I'm needing some help with skin cycling, particularly the retinol and exfoliating nights. Obviously on those nights you either use an exfoliator or you either use a retinol, but what else do I pair with those products on those particular nights? Thank you. We were literally just talking about TikTok and skincare. First off, for anyone that might not be on the TikTok, can you please explain what skin cycling is? 
So skin cycling is probably what a lot of people are already doing. And essentially, it's just not using every product every day. So for example, one night you might use vitamin A, the next night you might use an exfoliant, the night after that you might use vitamin C, and then you kind of have this three-night cycle rather than using all three products every single night because your skin will probably freak out. So there is this sort of, I guess, official skin cycle, which is a four-night cycle with retinoid on the first night, exfoliation on the next night, then two hydrating sort of rest nights. I would actually say that is not the best skin cycle. Oh, okay. Here we go. Yeah. Controversial. What's the lab muffin take? Based on the studies, most people can use retinoids more than once every four nights. Also based on the studies, retinoids are more effective if you use them every night. So I guess it's really finding your own custom skin cycle, your own proper routine. Yes. Everyone's skin is slightly different. Your skin is not the same as mine, not the same as Amy's, not the same as your best friend's, not the same as whichever celebrity is sharing their skincare routine on TikTok right now. Don't just fall for whatever. Try not to just follow blindly. Try to just really listen to your skin. So yeah, I think most people can work up to more than once every four nights. Most people should be able to do every night or every second night once you work your way up slowly, like we talked about last episode. I guess the skin cycling concept, it's a good starting point. If you've been a bit slapdash and all of that, it's kind of a good concept to be like, okay, let's start being a bit more considered. Let's get into a bit of a rhythm here, a routine, rather than either going all out, I'm going to layer my retinol with my glycolic acid, and then I'm going to slap some vitamin C on the top. That's a recipe for disaster. But yeah, it's a good way to also build up your tolerance. So being a bit more regimented can be really helpful for skincare beginners. Exactly. So I guess back to the question, which is what else can I pair with stuff? The answer is pretty much anything. I guess the general rule, because we don't like strict rules here. The general rule is if your skin is irritated, then just try to avoid irritating actives and only add soothing actives. So I guess the main irritating actives are what's already mentioned, retinoids and exfoliants. Also, vitamin C tends to be bad for some people's skin. Not bad as in like not effective, but bad as in more irritating than you might want at a particular time. Especially L-ascorbic acid is the one that tends to be more irritating for a lot of people. There's also kojic acid, which is a bit less common, but is also quite irritating. And so with more soothing actives, there are things like niacinamide, panthenol, centella, antioxidants, oat extract. These are all really nice to pair with more irritating actives. So yeah, depending on how your skin is feeling, you could go in either direction. And then how that translates practically into the products that you're putting on your face each night of the skin cycle. With your retinol, we discussed this in the last episode, it's usually just a nice moisturizer, you know, cleanse your vitamin A and moisturizer either before, after, both or not at all. With your exfoliant, kind of the same deal. Some exfoliants, you can leave them on the skin and not apply a moisturizer afterwards. If you have drier skin or you just want more, I guess, your safety net, you put your moisturizer over the top. And then on your hydrating nights, I have some product recommendations with those ingredients that you just discussed. Yeah, anything with niacinamide, hyaluronic acid, the Viviology Niacinamide Plus HA is such an excellent product that you could use on nights three and four. ASAP Super B is one of the best sellers that if you know Adore Beauty, you know ASAP Super B. That one has your vitamin B ingredients in it. 
La Roche-Posay Cicaplast Serum is another one that you could sub in on nights three and four of your skin cycle or aspect B17 and then layer on the top with a moisturizer is kind of the best way to help your skin recover to then get back on the cycle on the retinol night on night five. I'm starting to get confused just trying to think about these nights actually one tip with skin cycling if you do want to give this a go or just have any kind of rhythm to your routine write it down write it down in your phone or I literally wrote a physical hard copy list for my mum that she put on sticky tape in the bathroom cabinet mirror do what you got to do to get your rhythm going because you don't just have to know this stuff and intuitively open the cupboard and go "Mm, yes tonight is this Write it down if you need to, all for it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Skincare School. You'll find everything we spoke about referenced in the show notes. Got more skincare questions? Well, did you know that there's a whole team of experts and product specialists waiting to answer them on our Adore Beauty live chat? You can jump onto the adorebeauty.com.au website and chat to our team of real people in real time. And while you're there, tell us what you think, leave a review and a rating, and don't forget to tell everyone in your life about Skincare School. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe in your podcast app and you'll get a notification the second that our next episode drops. 